Welcome to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations with Nina Impala. Do you have questions about death? How about events surrounding death? Or perhaps you have questions that need to be answered after death. On this program, we talk frankly and openly about the subject and invite you to share your comments and experiences as well. Now, here is your host, Nina Impala. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be here today. Happy Wednesday to you. And I am going to introduce my wonderful guest. I'm so excited to have him here today. Father Nathan is with us today. And over the past 20 years, he's helped at least 250 people who died suddenly adjust to the afterlife. These victims of fire, automobile accidents, shootings, stabbings, and drownings came to him in his dreams seeking help. And although such contact was not something he sought out, Father Nathan has come to believe that providing such help is something the Holy Spirit has given him to do. So I'm going to just welcome him to the show, and we're going to jump in. Father Nathan, how are you today? I have never been better, and I'm excited to be with you. Oh, we're so excited to have you here, and I'm so excited to share this incredible, unique gift that you have. So let's just start with, you know, how did this start for you doing this unusual and unique work? Uh, The part particularly about uh, helping souls that who had already died? Correct. Um, well, I'm a Catholic priest and uh, about, um, I'll be 35 years ordained next month. And about 22 years ago, I was on a retreat in Northern Arizona. Um, I'm a campus minister uh, by trade and I was with a group of people on a retreat, just went to sleep one night and in the middle of the night, I had a dream that changed from being my dream content, what I call my own psychobabble, to a scene that was very different, that I understood right away was not my consciousness. You knew. And, yeah. and you know, when you have dreams like that, it's so interesting because you wake up and go, what just happened? Yeah, well. A realm, a different time. In this particular dream, uh, it was so abrupt because I was, at the first, I was dreaming, I'm a, I play golf. And I was dreaming about playing golf with a priest friend who I frequently played with. We were finishing our round and we were coming into the bar afterwards to have a drink. And when we got in there, there was a silent auction going on for a charity. So I've run charities my whole life. So this is still my stuff. But I looked at, I was looking around at all these things and there was this piece of framed art on a wall. And mm-hmm. I said, to, I said to my companion, look at that God awful thing over there. Isn't it horrible? Uh, and it, it was just, it was so nasty that it was attractive. Uh, and I, I began to walk over toward it. Um, it's, it. I'm looking at a big screen TV on my wall. Mm-hmm. And it, that's about what it looked like in the dream. You know, a, a rectangle on a wall with, with uh, something inside of it. But when I went toward it, it, it moved toward me and it started to, to move like a movie. Oh, my gosh. And inside that, the frame... Uh-huh. There was there was a young man, probably about twenty. He was sitting on the radiator of a car from the late fifties, the kind with fins and lots of chrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hadn't been in a crash. Uh, it's just that the hood was open, and he was sitting on the radiator with his feet on the bumper, facing away from the car. Which is kind of a strange thing to do, but anyway, there he was, and he burst into flames and started screaming. And he was mad at somebody just outside the picture frame. And 
I woke up. Okay, I think that we are talking about Ray, huh? We are. Okay, Father Nathan's book is amazing. Please read it. (laughs) I think let's just talk about Ray. Before we go into a little more detail about Ray, I want you to tell me and our listeners, why do people get stuck? Why do these souls get stuck? Well, at the time, I didn't really know. I'd never given it that much thought. I Mm -hmm. I was raised a Catholic child, and I prayed for the dead from when I first learned how to pray. That's just the way I was taught. Yes. Before sleep, especially. Yes. um, uh, But what I've learned is that the ones that I've dealt with have some idea or something in their imagination that they form, and it overpowers everything else. For example, some, all of my people have been through sudden violent deaths. Correct. Um, uh, or if not that, they had some sudden violent thing that happened in their life that kind of killed their spirit. Traumatic, I would some, think. Some yeah. traumatic thing that altered the course of their life in a, in a way that made them shut down. Okay. Most of them, that was their death. But once in a while, something happened. Uh, sometime before their death that made them kind of go in themselves and and shut the world out or shut their emotions off. Understood. Uh, But sometimes what I've learned is that people get stuck because they were uh, infuriated that they died at all. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they died because of someone else's incompetence. Uh, You know, when people die in car accidents that they didn't cause, it's often because somebody did something unsafe. And one of the things that you say that I love is that people want their death to make sense. Yeah, sometimes I've uh, people just feel like uh, that that their entire life is meaningless if there's if it doesn't make sense at the end. Right, and we know that as you quoted in your book, many life events don't make sense; they just happen. But as human beings. We kind of want to make sense of everything. We're trying to make sense of COVID right now, you know, and why things happen and why they go the way they do. And so that senselessness or thinking that they had a senseless death, that's actually what makes them stuck. Is that correct? It can be. Other times it's people got very identified with a role, like uh, a person, one person I dealt with died when she still had very young children in the house. And she just could hardly imagine herself as not being a mom raising children. Uh, uh, it was just so disorienting. She just felt like, I, I, I don't even know who I am anymore. And, oh. uh, and so she needed a, a chance to kind of regroup before she moved on. Yeah. So tell us about Ray and how he got to move on. Well, um, I knew... That uh, It was like three o'clock in the morning when I had the dream that I just was telling you about. And I woke up from it so abruptly and I sat up in bed and I made the sign of the cross. I said a prayer and said, I, you know, I don't know who you are, but my name is Nathan. And mm-hmm. if you need some help, I'll see what I can do. It's, mm-hmm. it's cert- I, you know, much of my life, most priests have to take a turn having a pager on the nightstand. Mm-hmm. Oh, many, right. many parishes have a hospital where there's sometimes a, a call, emergency call for a priest during the night. Correct. And so there's been times in my life when I had to answer a pager because somebody needed a priest. And that's what this felt like. It just wasn't, I wasn't called on a pager. 
I was called in a dream. That's a really good analogy, Father Nathan. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I prayed and I, I, I uh, tried to write down the material in the dream so I wouldn't forget it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the morning, I went back to sleep. And then in the morning, I was on a retreat. And one of the persons who was on the retreat was a good, good friend of mine who I knew was a spiritually gifted woman. Mm-hmm. And, and she had been a prayer partner of mine. Mm-hmm. And so I took her aside and said, something happened in the night. And I think someone needs help. Would you mind praying with me about it? So uh, we went into prayer, and we we got still, and we asked the Holy Spirit, what's this, and how can we be of assistance? And my friend said, he wants to talk to you very much. Would it be okay if I let him do that? Wow. Okay. And um, my my friend had the facility to to do that. I had witnessed it before, and um, I knew her to be a holy person. We weren't dabbling in seances or you know, playing around with spiritual gifts to amuse ourselves. Uh, but it seemed, uh, we, we, we know how to protect ourselves. I pray to St. Michael the Archangel and Holy Mary and St. Dominic and, and St. Benedict and a lot of the saints. Yes. And uh, it's imp- I think it's important to have kind I of... Too. That, uh, that verse in the belt, guarding your heart, you know, it's important when you're yeah. working in those areas. Yes, but um, but I've been a priest a long time, and I've dealt with spiritual things for decades, and so I felt like we've we've prayed ourselves, you know, protection, and we're just trying to help somebody who seems to have come in the night. So uh, we she uh, uh, allowed him to speak, and uh, this is what he came out with: Who the hell? Who the hell does he think he is taking me just when? My life was getting good. So he was angry. He was a young man. And I just said, well, hello, my name is Nathan. And this is my friend through whom you're speaking. And we'll do what we can to help you. Uh, But we just had to take it apart a little bit at a time. uh, Get to know him. Um, I said, who are you taught? Who took your life? Uh, And he said, well, God. I said, well, who told, huh? What happened? <laughs> I, I saw you were, you caught fire on the hood of a car is what it looked like what I saw in a dream. And he said, yeah, he, he took my life. When, and I said, well, you mean God took your life? He's yeah, that's why people die. And I said, well, what, you, you've been taught that that's the reason that people die because God takes them. Well, sure. Um, so I, I just said, well, okay, well, at least you know, there is a God and you do know that you survived your death. Is that right? I mean, that was kind of undeniable. And I said, well, you know that there's an afterlife and you know there's a God. So now we're off to a good start there. (laughs) Yes. How can we help you? What is it that you want? Well, actually, I think I said, how did you find me? And he said, I don't know. Somebody brought me here. Interesting. (laughs) Here. I want to know where here is, but keep going. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Uh, People ask me that all the time. Why do they need you? Well, I don't know. Here. (laughs) How do they find you? That's the thing that always stumbles me. It's like... How do they find you? And, uh, and like, how do these certain people, specific people, which we're going to get into, find you? you I don't know. How, do, how does anybody find their way to a counselor? True. Or, um, You're how, do, how, how do people find their spouses? You know, there, <laughs> there, are, lot, there are lots of uh, occurrences and happenstances that are part of life. And I don't try to go too deep into it. I just kind of take what comes. And. So he just said, I don't know. Somebody brought me here. And I said, okay, well, doesn't matter. We're here. Uh, how, how can we help? And he said, um, 
my wife, my wife, he was from Georgia and he had a twang in his voice. Wow. Okay. Uh, you get so many details. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, he, he said, my wife, uh, huh? uh, she, she, after I passed, he, they were only 20. He had gotten her pregnant in their senior year of high school. They got married, had the baby, and the child was a little more than a year old uh, on the day of the fire. And he said, my wife, she, she remarried. Uh, they didn't have any more kids. I have no beef with that man. He raised, she said, he, she married up. She married her lawyer and moved oh. to South, <laughs> South Carolina. Okay. He, was, he and his friend, uh, his best friend from high school, where they they started a small business. This was all in 1960. Okay. Uh, uh, they started. They were renting a house, and it had a detached garage across the yard. And they turned the garage into an auto repair shop, mm-hmm. and that's where he died. Um, but he he said, um, uh, you know, my wife married again. She married up, and she said uh, they didn't have any more kids. Uh, the man did a fine job raising my son, but now my wife is dying of cancer and I want to greet her when she passes, but I can't the way I am. Wow. So interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And so he was thinking time's very different in, in heaven. Is that true? Or on the other side of the veil? Because when you say this was from 1960, right? We're in 2020. Yeah. Th- and this was about 20 years ago. So, um, okay. but still it was about 40 years in, as a, as a past event. Yeah. And I, what I find with the work that you do and the things that I've read is that time is really, I I almost want to say it's like, it's not an issue because it's, it's just time there and time here, but it's very different. Well, I, 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 I assumed early on that, that people who had already died were outside of time and paid no attention to it. But I found out later that it's not the same for everyone. It, it really depends on what you pay attention to. And some people choose to stay more um, engaged in what's going on on earth and are more conscious of time than others are. And Ray, you know, we'll go on with his story here. We're going to go to a break in about three more minutes. So I'm going to ask you a couple more questions and then we're going to. Uh, All right. I'll, I'll try to wrap, wrap it up. Um, well, well, wait, I don't want to hurry on that. Cause I want to ask you one, one other question before we finish up on, on Ray. Um, the other question that, I want to ask you about him is he seemed, and we're going to go in more into detail what he did, but he seemed to be still kind of hesitant and kind of frustrated with his situation. Like, how am I going to get from here to there? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, we, you know, when, when yeah, I put, I treated it like a counseling appointment. When a, fr- a person you don't know comes in for a first counseling appointment, yeah. one, of, one of the things you need to ask them is, um, how can I help you? Just simple. What, like, is it you, what is it you want? And what is it you need? And yeah, what is it you need? Uh, and uh, oftentimes people only come and seek counseling because they're frustrated that what they've tried so far hasn't worked. Right. And whatever he had tried hadn't worked. And now he was under the gun because his wife was dying of cancer and he wanted to greet her and he knew that he couldn't waste any more time. Okay. We're going to stop there. We're going to go to break and then you're going to tell us how he got to the other side to greet her. Very good. Back. Thank you. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to inspiring end-of-life conversations if you have a question for nina impala or her guest today call into our program at 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to tutoring for the spirit at gmail.com now back to this week's program hi we're back with father nason castle we were talking about Ray, Father Nathan, and yeah. taking him across to heaven and back into the light. And this boy took a couple, couple, couple counseling sessions, as you call it. So uh, let's go on with that story and tell us what happened with the next visit. Well, I, I told him, uh, Ray, you've told me that you want to see your wife or greet her when she passes, and she's got cancer. And so... I said, it looks like you haven't made a lot of progress in the last 40 years since you passed. And I need to hurry you now to get you ready. So a cancer's got its own schedule and it's not going to wait on you. So um, I'm going to push you hard and I don't know if, if you're going to be uh, up for it. So remember, you can stop anytime you want, but uh, you know, you don't, I'm not the boss of you, but you've asked for my help. And I think the best way to help you is going to be to push you hard to get this uh, fixed, Resolve. right? Resolved. Well, um, it as I let him talk, uh, it's he was certainly angry at God. I mm-hmm. challenged him on this idea about that, that people die because God takes them. God becomes a body snatcher. And I said, who taught you that? And he said, it was, well, I said, how did you even know there was a God at all? Who taught you about God? And he said, well, my mom used to... T- 
make me kneel next to the bed and say my prayers. And she beat me while I prayed. There it is. And I said, well, why in the world did she do that? Well, I don't know. She just mm-hmm. did. I said, well, you didn't get to raise your son for very long, but would you have beaten him while he prayed? <laughs> he said, of course not. <laughs> I said, well, okay, well, let, could, could, could it be possible that maybe you got a warped idea or two about God from being beaten while you prayed? Well, he didn't like that because he just grumbled. And I said, okay, well, let's go on to the next thing. You, you at least know there is a God, but somebody taught you that God takes people and burns them up in a fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did you learn that? And he said, Brother James. And I said, well, who is Brother James? I said, um, he was my pastor. And I said, well, did you know I'm a pastor too and I'm a Catholic priest? And then he said, oh, I don't know if I can say it on your show. Go ahead. Shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> you're a Catholic. You can believe me. Well, uh, you're a Catholic priest. And I said, well, yeah, I am. And, and, uh, and I've known God my whole life. And that's just not true. Somebody... Uh, maybe Brother James was confused, but he just told you something that isn't true. Uh, people say untrue things about other people all the time. Didn't anybody ever say something about you that wasn't true? Well, people say untrue things about God, and sometimes they don't mean to, but they just do. So you learned a wrong thing. Are you willing to consider that maybe you just died of, of an accident and it's not God's fault or anybody else's? And what well, did he say? He grumbled. He didn't like it. And I said, you don't have to like it. All I'm asking you to do is uh, consider that maybe you've been wrong. Have you ever been wrong before? <laughs> um, so anyway, but that was one thing. And then um, the other one, it's, I, I asked him who he'd been with ever since he died. And he said, nobody. And I said, wow, that's a long time to be all by yourself. And instead of us trying to get you to jump from zero to 60, uh, to get from nobody to greeting your wife, maybe we should try to get you kind of uh, going with somebody else. You know, could could we get you to get back in circulation somehow? So you had to bring up people that he perhaps loved in his lifetime. That's what I was thinking. And I thought, well, I thought of his mother, but then I thought right away, no, she beat him while he prayed. And maybe she's not the first person. And no. I said, what, Ray, what about your dad? You never mentioned your dad. Well, he died when I was 10 and I was kind of afraid of him. I didn't really know him very well. He died in the war. And I said, Vietnam, no, Korea. All right. Well, okay. so I thought, well, here's a counseling technique. When your counselee goes dark, try to get them to go light. So, okay, he didn't, didn't know his dad very well. was kind of afraid of him, died when he was young. Well, Ray, did you and your dad ever have a great experience doing anything together? A happy moment. What was the happiest moment, that a father-son moment? Did you guys ever do anything that was fun that you remember? He said, yeah, one time we went and looked at cars. Well, he loved cars. He started an auto repair business. And so I said, well, what if I got, would you be willing to try something? What if I went into prayer and I just asked God if it would be okay for your dad to come where you are so you could see him and you could decide whether or not you and he would like to do something together. And he agreed that he would be, he didn't think that was too frightening. And he said, is that all you need to do? And I said, well, let's give it a try if you're willing. And I said a prayer and just said, and I didn't make a great big deal of it. I just said, God, would you please send uh, Ray's dad to visit him if it's possible for that to happen? And within 10 seconds, Ray was saying, oh my God, look over there. It's my, <laughs> it's, it's, I can't see what you're say, seeing, Ray. You're going to have to describe it. And he said, well, it's my dad. And I said, well, does he look scary? No. Do you think you're being tricked? No, just this is my dad. 
I said, well, do you think you'd be okay with going somewhere with him as long as you, he take, brings you back here? You know? And he said, yeah, I think so. So I said, okay, well, then we're going to leave you and you, you guys go do what you need. We'll get together in a few days. So we did. And when we got back together, went back into our protected prayer. Yes. I said, hey, hey Ray, uh, how's it going? Uh, your, your dad was here the last time we left. So what'd you guys do? He said, well, w- we went and looked at cars. <laughs> I said, now, how did you do that? He, he died somewhere in the early 50s and you died in 1960 and now it's 2000 or whatever. And I said, did you have to time travel? And he said, no, we went and looked at the new ones. Oh, my goodness. These are all the beautiful things that I can only imagine, you know, when I read your book and when I hear your stories and stuff. And, you know, Father Nathan, it's really interesting how quickly, you know, and I've noticed this because I've read your book and I've read other articles that you've sent me. The person shows up. It's a thought away. Yeah, my my people uh, I've learned are um, they 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 are ready to go, and yeah. they 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 don't need very much uh, from me and from my prayer partners. They yeah. uh, they're this close. Yeah, and I think I think of myself as the discharge nurse at the <laughs> e- end of a healthcare continuum. Okay, that's 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 good. I really like that because it's what you do. It, it's it's like, and I, I wonder like. Okay, so this angel wasn't able to help him, and this angel wasn't help him. Let's grab grab Father Nathan Castle and have him do it. No, it's not so much that; it's that they've been helped all along. Okay, uh, but you know, if if you were and, and remember, my people are almost all uh, died violent, traumatic yes. deaths. Yes. So think of like a, an ER room with a, a trauma unit. Okay. And then how uh, you might be triaged and helped and maybe you have emergency surgery and then you go to a step ICU or step down room and eventually a private room and uh, maybe some physical therapy and all the way to now it's time for you to leave here. You don't really need to be here any longer. And then somebody helps you get ready to leave and helps you make a plan. That's like the social worker at the hospital that gives you, you know, that gets you all ready to to, yeah, to the they make thing. sure that you, you have your meds and that somebody is able to help you with meals or whatever it is you might need. I anyway, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm kind of that. Yes, I would definitely. I don't know if you've described it to me that way before, but that is that is perfect. You know, I'm such a visual person. So uh-huh. when you're talking, I get all these visions in my mind and that to help us understand what's happening on this side and how you're working on both sides, I think that's just such a really beautiful way to explain where they're at and how they're handling it. Because when people have been through a lot of trauma in life, there are certain steps that you have to take in order to get back to wellness. Right. And and just so your listeners know, this was the only one out of about 300 now that took more than one session. Correct. It, was just, it was just that he was our first and we were mm-hmm. trying to figure it out on the fly. Yep, I understand that. I do. Uh, they've all been very unique. And I really want to talk about some more of the people that you helped. And I think the other story that I really love is the story about Ronnie, only because she really stuck with me when I was reading your book. And I'm going to read what she said. And then I'd like you to tell the story because it, it is so beautiful. Yeah, she's a lovely soul. Uh, I can feel her presence right now. She's oh. um, 
she's a, a deer. She was, uh, th- in that dream, I was on a beach in what I thought was um, Asia. Uh, and uh, a big wave came and swept me out to sea. Tsunami. And then I, I was bobbing around in beach chairs and palm trees and debris of all kind and people screaming and stuff. And then it got quiet and I woke up. And so that would have been the tsunami. It was that huge one that killed 250,000 people. Correct. And she says, and then I'll let you do the story just because this brought me so much peace and I want everybody to hear it. So what Ronnie said from now on, tell them it doesn't matter what religion you are, or what you think about it. You will live after you die. Even if you die in a way that seems colossally tragic, you step out of that. You walk out of that like one might walk out of dirty clothes and go on. Yes. So tell us how Ronnie died and her age. She was young. Yeah, she was 12 years old at the time of her death. She was the only child of two PhDs. uh, And they were from India, but they were on holiday in Sri Lanka. Okay. They they were staying at a tall um, hotel on a beach. Wow. It, It was a Sunday morning. And she was not permitted to go to the beach by herself. She was only 12. And uh, her parents were sleeping in on a Sunday morning. The beach was beckoning. She couldn't stand it any longer. And so she broke the rules and went to the beach on her own. Okay. Just in time to be swept out to sea. Uh, So she died uh, pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, but the thing that bothered her the most that she died being disobedient. Correct. And, the, and then she mentioned um, the respect for elders in Asian cultures. That's more pronounced than it is in other places. Yes. I, I used to work at Stanford where there were a great many uh, Asian students, mm-hmm. uh, international students. And I observed that myself. Um, and, she felt terribly guilty about dying in a way that brought disgrace to the family. Oh, wow. Right. So there was a big load of shame around that. And the fact that she was an only child. And so now she's deprived her parents of both their child and any future grandchildren. And uh, well, she just felt terrible. Uh, But again, by the time she came my way, she had, worked through some of those things and just needed a little boost to be on her way. And then who did she picture when you talked to her? Like who did, how, who did she picture to go to? Um, It was her, it wasn't any one person. It was her family line. Oh, wow. That would make sense for her culture. I, yeah, I had, um, I, I, I've seen this happen several times. She described them, they look to her like bowling pins. Mm. You know how bowling pins have one and then two and then three kind of, uh, if you could imagine it toward infinity. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. And, and I've seen it with her and with others. Sometimes the person out front is someone known to them from a, uh, their own time or a generation before them, a grandmother or something. Correct. And they may um, not have even met them. Correct. Father. Yeah. Sometimes it's a, uh, it's two or three or four generations back. Maybe people who we've seen a picture of on a wall at grandma's house or something yes. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
an old fashioned uh, picture. Yeah. Uh, but, but somebody that you didn't know. Correct. Uh, and uh, anyway, it was her family line that came for her okay. and they wanted her to know that they all had stuff that none of them died without something that troubled them, but mm-hmm. that, but that um, they all were able to make room in them for whatever that was and go on. And that she didn't need to be perfect or perfectly anything to, to come and be with them. You know, there's a theme kind of throughout your book that is really focuses on the importance of not being judgmental. Yes. And I think that is so important. You know, even in my own counseling that I do, I always try and stay kind of in the middle and Mm -hmm. not take sides and not be, make anyone feel that they've done something wrong or bad. It's just the way it is. And that's going back to what we were talking about earlier when it has to make sense. And there, so many times I've always said to people, you know, just say what you need to say. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not here to do that. And I think that is a really important thing, working with the living and people that have passed on and that are stuck. Well, she was, um, one of her issues she explained was that she was 12 going on 20. Mm. Her parents poured lots of educational resources into her. She felt like school was holding her back more than it was bringing her forward. Yes. I mean, organized school systems. She yep. felt like uh, she didn't want to be involved with uh, people her age because she just thought they were interested in things that were childish. And in the sense she felt like an old soul, sort of. And, it, you know, that's not uncommon for only children because they spend a lot more time with adults than right. children who have a lot of siblings. And mm-hmm. she had been raised mostly around adults, and she kind of spoke and thought uh, uh, more like an adult than others her age might. And that's why she was frustrated that she wasn't given um, trust to go to the beach on her own. So she and, just- yeah. Well, uh, later after she died, she said, well, I, I, you know, I've had an opportunity to think about it and I wouldn't let any 12 year old of mine go to the beach by herself on vacation. It no. wasn't, my per- parents weren't being unreasonable. It's just that I felt so um, thwarted. Uh, and she said in the afterlife now, she, um, she doesn't have to be 12 anymore. You know, that, that, that she could find a way to, to, express herself that more matched her, um, I don't know, mental age. Yes. Yes. So she felt now that she was something, she said, I think I've grown since my passing and I think I might be more like 20 now. Oh, so fascinating. Yeah. She feels more like 20 when you talk about her and when you feel her, you know, when you feel them, what does that feel like to you, Father Nathan? Because you were saying you feel her. You know, if you start talking about them, which I'm sure will happen, Father Nathan is going to be a regular on the show every third Wednesday of the month, just to let you know. Yeah. Um, well, part of it is, is you know, an interior vision in sleep. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit visual in that, you know, dreams are, are visual media. Um, but then when I'm dealing with people um, in, in wakefulness, and when a spirit is around me, I very often know it first through touch, uh, touch the shoulder muscles and neck. Um, uh, I'll get a sensation that 
that I now now recognize as presence. It's yes. almost like it's, it's almost like a tap on the shoulder. It's gentle. Yeah. It's I not intrusive. Sometimes yeah. I feel like my hair is getting played with <laughs> when when I feel that. When I've done bereavement calls before, sometimes I can feel the loved one, um, and it will feel like that, like a touch. That's what it's like most of the time. And then if I it, sometimes that just gets me to pay attention. And then if I be still and say a prayer, uh, I might get a, a sense of who this might be, or at least a gender or yes. uh, a peacefulness or upset. I'll get some sort of like emotion. Oh uh, yeah. I had that as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. When you pay attention to it and you're open to it, it's it, being a priest, you know, yeah. that's something that has been such a de- big, huge part of your life. Oh my, sure. go to another commercial and we will be right back with father Nathan. Thanks so much for listening. Uh-huh. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. If you have a question for Nina Impala or her guest today, call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. And we're back with Father Nathan and... Death interrupted. So, Father Nathan, is there some kind of process that you have to go through to, in order to talk about these people that have passed on? Do you check in with them? Do you ask them? When it first started, I didn't know that I would ever write a book about any of this. Um, but then, after you know, more and more of these experiences, I just thought I really ought to 
to try to, I, I'm a preacher of the good news. And it was just such good news. It felt like it ought to be spoken. I agree. Uh, and so um, when I began to work on it, I had a dear friend who has since passed, uh, Laura, who um, I, she was helping me begin to um, put a book together. And I said, you know, Laura, these were such personal stories, and I, I'd never asked permission to use them. I wonder if it's okay. And she said, you know, this is about the third time you've said that to me. What if we just went back into prayer and we asked their permission? They talked to you once. Maybe they'd talk to you again. Yes. So that was pretty practical advice. I think so, so too. So, you know, I, I understand that um, talking back and forth to the dead is kind of taboo. And so I, you know, I, I only do the bare minimum of what I think uh, the Holy Spirit's asked me to do. I don't chat people up just to amuse myself. But I thought, okay, I have a good reason. So we went back into prayer one day and we created a list and we said, we want these dozen people. And what essentially we did is kind of create a waiting room. And uh, we, uh, we asked, okay, would you, uh, and we asked Ronnie, or we asked Ray, uh, would you mind? And what happened wasn't just a yes or no answer. We got little updates on what they'd been up to. Interesting. Give us an example. Ronnie said, you know, I, I understand that, uh, you know, you, you want to use my story in a book. I would love to write a book. And we said, well, well, what would you, what would it be about? Well, I don't know, but I, I just love the idea of someone investing the time, thinking that something I had to say was important enough for mm -hmm. them to buy the book, to spend time with it. I would just love to write a book. And so I said, well, if you're giving me permission to use your story, maybe you could assist in the writing of this book. That is so beautiful, Father Nathan. And so, uh, you know how on the inside page, you know, at the beginning of any book, you have the page that has the copyright on it and yes. the um, Library of Congress number. Um, well, anyway, um, uh, one of the lines in it uh, credits uh, my sister, who was the publisher, Laura, who was the copy editor, Betsy, who was my editor, and oh, Ronnie. see it here. Ronnie, I'm and, looking at your book, Afterlife yeah. Assistant Editor. Yeah, so I gave her a title. Ronnie became my afterlife assistant oh, editor. So great. I didn't know that. That's new for me. So I, I was just really, so that's what she heard all the wrestling because I was just looking at the book and there it is. She was your assistant editor. And I'm working on the next book and I've already had one of the people that I've helped cross uh, say, I'd like to help on that next book. That's fantastic. It so. really is. I think we, we, I would love to do one more little story before, um, you know, the show ends today. Okay. And, Maybe we could talk about um, Dawn, the first responder. <laughs> I like that one. Too. That one, that one is crazy. Uh, this one, I felt like I was on a highway, of a freeway in a southern city that was under the freeway was being expanded or widened or something. Correct. And and that we were in slow traffic. Mm -hmm. I, I look. I was in the back seat on the passenger side with three other people in the car. I looked out the window and there was a crane. Uh, dangling a, a big cement bar, and I thought, boy, that looks dangerous. And and I no sooner had that thought than something went wrong, and stuff started falling like dominoes and coming toward the car. I saw I was going to be smushed if I didn't run for it, and I I got out and ran for it and woke up. How those dreams last? Just briefly, can you answer that? Not not very long at all. Okay. Um, less than a minute. Okay. Uh, sometimes they're only more like a snapshot, just one little tiny glimpse of something and I'll wake up. And then uh, you put it together. But, but most of the time they have a little plot line like I just described. 
Okay. Uh, well, anyway, what happened? Don was an African American guy, about twenty-seven or eight years old, unmarried. Uh, he w- had been at work uh, or out to lunch with coworkers, and they were on their way back to work when this accident happened. I thought I was in maybe Charlotte or Atlanta, uh, and he said, "No, Savannah." Oh, okay. Uh, but um, you know, a, a city that was growing too fast for its roads to keep up. Yes. And he uh, he died in this accident. He was infuriated that anyone would be so incompetent as to put the public at risk in the way that killed him. So he was furious. Okay. He also, uh, he was very fastidious in his personal appearance. Oh, that's right. And he saw his crushed face. That was a bloody pulp. Mm-hmm. And he, he was just disgusted that that's what he had come to. Mm-hmm. So he had disgust at the gore of it. Mm-hmm. And anger at the incompetence of it. Um, so he, those are two things that he needed to work through. I guess he was still feeling very attached to his body. It kind of sounds like he, he was concerned about his face being all smashed in. You know, because when we talk about Ronnie, she said it was like taking off dirty clothes. He remembered. Um, he was still attached to his body. It sounds like a little more or something. He remembered. Uh, Dances, the kind in high school or maybe even in college, those formal like proms and uh-huh. you know uh, dances where everybody gets very dressed up in tuxes or whatever. He he was remembering that and how fine he looked and how he really enjoyed getting dressed oh, up like that. Up. And um, he he was uh, he was just so angry that that it had come to such a bad end. But at the end. Um, we we knew we said well you wouldn't have come to us if you weren't ready to move along somebody thinks you're ready to move from where you are to somewhere better uh that's what we're that's our job is to help that happen do you think you're you're ready and he said well i suppose so and i and, and said well then normally people pick who they would like to have come for them or right. they can take the luck of the draw or something and he said i don't want to be anybody that knows me uh i want it to be somebody that's never seen me before and then he had this thought. He said, aren't there people that are used to seeing gory faces? Oh. Aren't there people like ambulance drivers that see this all the time? Oh. I'd, I'd rather start with somebody that is used to that. Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, that's just, that was what he had in his imagination. Yeah. So that, that's what you work with. You, bring, yep. you use what people bring when you're in counseling. And so uh, we said, well, we could pray for that. And so we went into prayer and said, um, uh, Don is ready to pass, but he'd like to have somebody come for him that's used to seeing bloody faces. So, and, and that's when Ralph showed up. But the, this is so funny. Ralph was a paramedic from Nebraska who had died in a, he was T-boned while driving his ambulance. And he was killed in his ambulance. Oh my. So. Um, but he had not crossed. He had died a, a sudden traumatic death and he had been asleep. He went unconscious okay. and we said, well, uh, Ralph, how are you going to do this? If, uh, how, 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 why are you, why are you the one coming? He said, um, I don't know. My pager went off. Hmm. So he was somebody that was used to waking up to a page, uh, and he was it. So we said, well, how would you know where to bring him if you haven't even crossed? And we no sooner asked that. And he said, I'm looking up at a, escalator that just appeared in the <laughs> there's people at the top of it saying get him on here yeah come on let's go 
So it's thought. So, so it was like magic. There was an escalator with people saying, just get on. And so Don and first responder Ralph went on the escalator and up they went. You know, it so much sounds to me like, I would, for lack of a better word, the median of conversation is thought. And yeah. as quickly as you have the thought, the action appears. And, you know, with the near-death experiencers that I have interviewed, Father Nathan, I'll say that, that conversations are at the speed of thought. And mm-hmm. so many times when we're talking about your people, it's it's amazing to me and so beautiful how a thought creates what they need. But like you said, it's in their imagination and it, it's, or I would, yeah. Or could you say like their third eye or their intuitive spot or something like that? Or is it more? Oh, it, and it doesn't even need to be on the mystical level. It's just, um, uh, did you ever have a crush on somebody and decide on your own that they were out of your league? You were out of their league? Uh, sure. <laughs> you, know, uh, you just you just create that little thought. Yes. And yeah. then and then you end up having to act on uh, that uh, on that until you change your mind. Okay. Simply put, there's yeah. lots lots of things like that where, and a lot of counseling people are unhappy because they created some thought that mm-hmm. they now insist is the truth, mm-hmm. and that they won't have it any other way. And they're fixed on that thought. They're as well. fixed and stuck. That's why I use the word stuck. <laughs> in the subtitle of the book it's like it's got to be a surrender we were talking about that earlier it's like you're you let go you put up that flag and you decide that okay i'm ready to make the change yes and sometimes people are ready to do that um, by leaping in with both feet other times they need to put their toe in the water they just need to be able to make some little bit of movement and when you have your meetings, you know, because basically that's what they are, you start with prayer, you end yes, with prayer. always. Mm-hmm. And it's so, yeah, you do. You start with prayer, you end with prayer. There's a beautiful ritual that you do. And you really don't know going in how angry, I mean, do you find that most of them are angry or just more confused or is there a pattern at all? Sometimes, sometimes the dream content itself suggests anger particularly people that have been murdered. Mm, yeah. um, uh, sometimes it just looks in the dream or the dream felt angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you'd some, you know, it's not always the case. You just don't know what you're getting into necessarily until you're in it. That, but that's the same with counseling. You, when mm-hmm. people walk into your office, you don't know what you're going to be talking about until you're in it. That's so. true. And you know, also when I hear you talk about them, they kind of, all become a part of you and your friends, would you say? Some have. Um, I'm a pastor, or have been for most of my life, and their pastoring can be a very uh, tender, intimate thing. Uh, and you become friends with some of the people who uh, are church members. Others, not so much. They just kind of come and go. You you preach and you provide services and things. So with some of the people, we've kind of become friends in the course of it. With others, not so much. They just needed a little help. And Would you say I, that you feel a stronger connection with some of them than others? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah. And it makes sense to me, too. It's like with, with, um, with Ronnie, you know, I, maybe because she was a child. But would you say that, you know, like with um, Ray, would you have ever talked to Ray again? Because you did talk to him three times, but do you think that might have changed? Or 
I would never have talked to him again had it not been for deciding to write the book. Mm-hmm. And, be- and because he was first, when I do radio interviews like this, we almost always tell that story because it's foundational. Yes. It, it sets up a lot. We can talk about a lot of other things in future shows, but mm-hmm. we've at least kind of done this now to kind yeah, of. Yeah, and get the introduction open. And that's a lot about what I really wanted the show to be. So we can, um, when, when you come on next time, we'll be talking about more stories and just all the little things that come up with the work that you do. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to ask you this other question. Do you feel that every person that is in that stuck place has some kind of being with them, an angel or a helper or something of that nature? They do. And that was my early training. I was taught that all of us have a guardian angel. And I, even though I was being taught that as a child, it wasn't a childish idea. Mm-hmm. I still, I, I am uh, accompanied by my guardian all the time and I talk to him regularly. Um, so, and yes, they all have one. They don't always know what it is, but even people that were very determined to be all alone, they're all alone except for that guy that stays over in the corner. Okay. So when Ray said he was alone, there is an, a, an angel that's very, or a helper, or whatever, that's very quiet, that just yes. stands guard. Yeah. Guardian. Yes. The guardians are very respectful. First of all, they love the one they guard and, yeah. and they're very respectful of their rights and their privacy. Yeah. And so uh, if, that, if that person needs them to stay, you know, uh, distanced, well, that's what they do, but yeah. they, won't go, they won't go off duty. <laughs> they won't leave. No, yeah, and that's the way I've always thought of my guardian angel too. You know that they're they're always there. They're always with me, and I encourage myself to talk to them when I need help. And it's a good message for everybody right now as we're closing the show to let everyone know. You know, you're never alone, and even with COVID, you are you're not alone. You have helpers there. Talk to them. Have them help you with sleep. Have them help you get healthy. Pray, 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 and all will be well. Father Nathan, I look so forward to having you on in July. And I hope everybody's going to be listening, bookmark the show. It's been wonderful. I want to make sure we get my website in there. Yes, we are going. Go ahead. Okay. It's Nathan, my name, Nathan-Castle, C-A-S-T-L-E, Nathan-Castle.com. Yes. And his book, Afterlife Interrupted, is on there. And his website's beautiful. Please check him out. And we'll see you here again in uh, June. Okay. God bless you, everybody. Thanks so much, Father Nathan. Take good care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We hope you have found hope in this week's edition of Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. Please join your host, Nina Impala, for another program next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again soon.